You are listening to the Become a Guitarist Today podcast with Adam Roach. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 92 with my guest today, Cameron McKenzie from the band Horsehead. So in this episode, I talked to Cameron about the band Horsehead and about the new Legacy Box that is out now, and also about the, the one-off show coming up in February 2020 at the Corner Hotel in Melbourne. Now, I must apologize for the rain sound that's come through in about six minutes into the podcast. So I hope you enjoy this interview, the last one for the year. A big thank you again to my sponsors, Musician. Now you can learn the instrument you've always wanted to, wherever and whenever you have the chance to sit down and play. Musician is an award-winning app designed by expert music teachers to teach you guitar, ukulele, piano, and more, giving you live feedback in the process. You can learn thousands of songs, including some you already love. Whether you've been playing for years or never picked up an instrument, Musician's here to help you get good, get better, and get playing. Plus, your first week's free. So visit Musician.com and give it a shot. And also custom guitar picks and living music. So enjoy the podcast and see you all next year. How long is that, Adam? It's Cameron here. Hey, Cameron. How are you, mate? Very good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I love the name of your publication. Oh, you like it? <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> so, so you're in sunny Melbourne too, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks for doing this for us. No worries at all. Thank you for uh, thank you for taking me to yourself. No, no worries at all. Yeah, so I thought we might get into the, the legacy box set, if that's okay. We'll talk about that at the start. Absolutely. So can you tell us how this came about with the, the new well, box set? You know, we had this uh, this 10-year run in the 90s with Horsehead and we made we made a lot of records. We made three records and, a, and an EP and we you know, a lot of B-sides and a lot of other recordings. And those records were kind of hard to find. And you couldn't, they weren't necessarily on Spotify. And you, know, you go to Spotify and there's a band called Horsehead and they're from America and they don't look anything like us and they <laughs> certainly don't sound anything like us. Yeah, I saw that. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, so we kind of thought, well, two things happened. One guy came out of the woodwork, Mark Herber Alexander at Golden Robot Records, and he said, I want to kind of do a box set release of all your material. And it's like, well, okay, if you can put it all together in the digital realm, so it's in one place and it's obvious and we are there forevermore yep. for, for um, people to find in 100 years' time, then I would love that. Mm. And... Um, and so that's kind of how it all kind of began. Mark said, I said, I want you to do it. And, you know, he said, you know, you should do some gigs. We'll do some gigs. And I'm like, no, nah, we won't do any gigs. <laughs> no way. <what?" laughs> <laughs> I didn't want it to be bitsy. If we didn't even know whether we want to play. Um, so we spent a lot of time getting this record together. And then we went, okay, it's actually happening. Let's do a show. Yep. And so... And the show is really just for the fans just who loved it for years and wanted us to come back. And we don't, we're not going to go on the road and tour or anything. We just thought we'll do a show to help promote this um, this box set and uh, our newfound digital existence. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and see if we can crank out some of the old tunes and it'll be like going to a wedding. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So have you got the set all organised or are you still doing that? Yeah, we're pretty we're pretty close. We're pretty close. I wanted to throw it open to social media to write the set list, but um, I think we'll probably end it up with the same one. Okay, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like the songs 
but most of the songs that are on her are kind of obvious. I mean, we obviously can't play everything. There's 70 odd songs in the repertoire. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, but we'll, you know, we're going to do about, I don't know, 17 or 18, we'll prepare, I think, and um, that should be enough for a good night. So, did you have to go back and learn some of your parts? Absolutely, yeah. I had to go back and learn most of them. <laughs> oh, really? And some of them, some of them, I was just like, "How did I do that?" I mean, it's funny. The other day, we were in a rehearsal room, and just, we're doing learning the start to a song called "Sunflower." Okay. And uh, and um, Scott does this thing, and he he says, "That's not me." Oh, really? Uh, I say, "Well, it's not me because I'm doing this other part." But he says, "It must be the bass." We just got the bass. I was doing that. And he said, I cannot remember playing that. Oh, so serious? He sort, of sort of had to learn it. And then after a while, I was like, yeah, that's you. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Um, but, uh, you know, other times, you know, you're listening off, we're learning off the record, and a lot of times, we, our first record, for instance, by the time we finished playing songs on that record, which is 10 years after it was made, or eight or nine years after it was made, yeah. You've, you've sort of morphed a lot of the parts anyway, so it's kind of nice to go back and learn them as they were as they were in made, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and you've got two different versions in there. There's like the super fan version and then just the normal Horsehead Legacy box set. I think, yes, yes. I think so, yes. But they're good. There's there's a lot of material in there and it's good. The artwork has come up really well. We're really happy with it. And there's a really good booklet yeah. that we've spent a lot of time on going through lots of old clippings and photographs and articles and kind of creating this booklet. And then it's all woven around this story written by Jeff Jenkins, who's a, a music writer. Okay. And, um, you know, he's been in the industry for years, and he's one of our biggest fans. Mm. And he wrote this kind of story for us to to kind of be in the spine of this booklet, and it, it's come up really well. So hopefully people will be really happy with it. Yeah, that sounds really good. And I noticed in the uh, the super fan version, you got the, uh, like, a personal note and a poster where you, you guys all signed it. Heaps, yeah. of, heaps of other things as well, so... For the yeah. great one for the super fan, definitely. And so, like you mentioned, you got the show coming up February first at the Corner Hotel. That's right. And so, at the moment, just the one, definitely just the one. Yeah, yeah, just the one. I mean, the thing about horse is that we don't. We didn't really get have any major radio play or anything. It's a very sort of neat little mob we've got who loves Horsehead. Yeah. There's actually more people. There's actually more people than we thought who are into it, but they are very into it. Yeah, yeah. And you know, um, you know, it's not like we could go and play a tour. It, was, it just wouldn't be financially financially smart because you'd get a few people, but we're just all beyond that now, really. Yeah. You know, the only way we can tour is if we're five-star hotels and we're just not going to be able to achieve that unfortunately <laughs> yeah it's, i remember back in the day like I was, I was in a band called house Rest, a top 40 cover band yeah. playing around melbourne 
and we actually did oil and water a couple of shows and um, we had a couple of guys up the front you know, just going for it and oh well they know this song because we really loved it you know we, we thought oh yeah. we'll just chuck it in it's one of those songs where we thought we love it so we want to play it and yeah, yeah a lot of people knew it which is great <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting how far and wide the the band's legacy has travelled. Yeah, I think um, you know that's the fullness of time. It's good, mm. and and what we did do, there is something there that people, if they're going to respond to it, they respond to it in a really big way. It's not sort of a sort of a oh yeah, I quite like that. It's like fuck me, you got to listen to this fucking. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. It's sort of all or nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that whole first album, I loved it. Like, just playing it live too was great. I mean, I'm sure you'd know all about it for our, for us. Yeah, it was really good. Just the you know, the riff and since people hear it, like, oh yeah, like you said, I love it. So you guys finished. Was it early 2000s or just before 2000s? I can't remember. <laughs> I know somebody knows the last day. It was, it was on the thing. I think it's just before 2000, actually. Yeah, because Scott um, went off and did um, uh, Screaming Jets, didn't he? Yeah, I'm not sure whether he immediately joined the Screaming Jets. It might have been a few years afterwards that he joined the Screaming Jets. But, uh, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, we all kind of went off in our own directions. Um, Andy is a building designer and he kind of concentrated on that. Maxi still plays drums, touring around with Uncanny X-Men and various kind of formations of that sort of 80s scene that he originally came from. I tour around with Mark Seymour and, and The Undertow. Okay. Um, and sometimes James Rain, mm. um, playing with those two guys. I still, I'm still in the music game. I make records and compose music and do all sorts of different variances of that. Oh, excellent. Um, and Scott's with the Jets and he's, you know... He now lives down in East Gippsland. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nick, bass player, lives in Sydney. So it's, it's no mean feat getting us all together in one place. Yeah, I was going to say, it'd be a bit tricky. Yeah, there's a bit of flying involved, a bit of driving involved every time we rehearse. But people are committed. yourself as well so how did you first get into guitar playing well uh that's a good question i like that yeah. um i was brought up classically right on the cello and the piano and the trombone and my mother was a violinist i was good i was very musical as a kid and i was encouraged to kind of carry it on but by the time i was about 16 i was sort of over it just didn't interest me enough to, to, to put in the hours that would have been required to get really good yeah and um uh, I was at school, I was still playing a bit of cello, 16, I think I was still playing a bit. And then this kid at school um, had an electric guitar, I knew a few guitar chords, because we had an acoustic guitar in the house, a nylon a string acoustic. Yep. And I played this electric guitar, and it was like I was hit by a bolt of lightning. <laughs> it was a life-changing and forming moment. I just went, wow, yeah. like, that is so powerful. And within a few days, I had a uh, an electric guitar and an amplifier, and um, I just played it all the time. I mm. played it for you know four or five years. I was on it all day. Oh. I just taught myself. I had all of the dexterity already because yeah. my fingers were, and um, you know, I knew to look at. I would look at 
people's hands, you know, and look at well, how does he do vibrato? How does Hendrix do vibrato? How does Motti do vibrato? Yeah. Where are they pegging their hand? What, what, what's going on there? Okay, and then I remember on the cello, they said, just do it slowly, do the movement slowly, and then it will come. Yeah. You know, so okay, I was looking at that, okay, do that slowly, radio, okay, now there, oh, there it is, oh, there is vibrato, <laughs> you know, and, and, um, so I had all of the, all of the devices I needed, but, you know, I really, it's only been in the last five, five to ten years, so I'm 54, so that's, uh, 37 years of playing the guitar. I reckon it's been in the last five to ten years that I've felt like I've gotten where I wanted to be. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's not, I'm miles away from technical wizardry. It's just more about, it's just more about knowledge of blues, rock, scales, and just Mm. knowledge of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That enables me to do what I can do, what what I hear, what what my mind is sort of asking of my hands. Yeah. Did you do much of the theory or just pretty much like when you wrote songs, just, you know, whatever sound best you come up with? Yeah, look, I, I employed a little bit of theory when I got stuck. That's where theory can be handy. So you're using your ears yeah, and you, you come up with a riff and that's not theoretical at all. That's just purely your heart speaking and you're just having a good time. Yeah. yeah. And then you go, okay, I want to do a melody here. Okay. All right. This riff is Okay, you know what, I know, and my, because I'm quite an analytical person, mm. and, you know, I would sort of think, oh, well, I can, I'm doing this riff, and I'm just using the one and the four and the five and the octave, and maybe a flat and the seventh. Now, I can do a melody here, I could make it a major melody. Mm. Let's make it a major melody. Yeah. And and then, uh, so we do that and sing something major, and then go, okay, now, if I, it's going to be a good shift to go to the minor key in mm. the chorus. And, you know, you're in E and you go, okay, I'll, I'll, I know that, you know, that live song, you know, I know, he goes to the E to C there. Everybody was doing the E to C thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you go, I know why that's, a, I know why that shift into that chorus is, is theoretically, I know why that's got a good mood, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of impossible not to think somewhat theoretically. Mm. When you're looking for ideas, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. What am I going to do here? Oh, God, I don't know. Go to the relative C, see what happens. So when you guys wrote With Horsehead, were you like the main writer or was you all pretty much uh, equal? Oh, look, I, me and Andy were probably the main writers. Probably did some writing. Um, and, you know, Mick, we all sort of chipped in. Mm. But, you know, Andy and I would walk in with complete songs and Andy would often... You know, I'd, go, I'd say to him, okay, well, this is where I'm at, you know. What do you think? And he might do something, you know, to kind of extend it or go over there or, you know. So it was, I remember writing oil and water or the predominant amount of oil and water on a bed in, on, on my hotel room bed in New York when we were in New York doing, trying to get a record deal. Oh, really? So yeah, that we got, we got them taken over there by Freddie DeMann, who was Madonna's manager. So interestingly, we were trying to work out when that was. I knew, I know when that was written. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, did you think at the time, yep, this is going to be the hit? Uh, no, I knew it was pretty strong. Yeah, I knew, I knew it was strong. I can't remember ever thinking this is going to be the hit. I thought Liar actually. Okay. I thought Liar was going to be right up there. Mm. Because I felt it was more a song for the times, but it, it sort of, it, funnily enough, Liar kind of came from more of a Nirvana-y kind of root, 
And then oil and water came from more of a lead zeppelin um Aerosmith, you know, kind yeah. of. We had these different influences, always pulling and pushing it. I think one of the reasons we probably didn't. We were we were always bit wide and varied in our in our kind of oh, our really? writing. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's why it all pretty much disbanded. Well, it's just I think it's why maybe we we didn't. You know, one of the reasons why we didn't necessarily make a huge wave. We were a bit hard to pin down. Thanks, Cameron. Okay, man. Have a lovely day. Yeah, talk to you again. All right, bye. Bye Bye-bye.